Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption podcast. If you have followed this series of podcasts thus far, you have learned of my distaste for the use of the term disease in reference to addiction. But in my estimation, This idea needs to be thoroughly confronted if addicts are to receive the help that they need. The assumption addiction can be approached as a disease dominates the rehabilitation industry. Experts on the subject, at least experts that are concerned with the current approach, have suggested this approach will remain due to its functionality. That is, rehab centers understand they cannot prevent a person from doing what that person has decided. This is Plenteous Redemption Podcast. Today's topic, addiction versus disease, debilitating terminology. Now, before we get started, what is the best way to launch a professional podcast? Many of you have asked me how to get started with a podcast. A number of you have called me. Your comments have been very encouraging, have been extremely helpful. Many of you have even taken up my suggestion at the end of the podcast and you've sent me ideas for shows. That is a blessing. And please keep that coming. Please keep it going. But in the course of conversation, many of you have asked how to get a podcast started. So I'm going to tell you about that right here, right now. Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Those of you that want to tell the world about Jesus Christ, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to do so online. I have greatly enjoyed it. Uh, With this downtime we've had, I've been able to get it up and running and get get things spun up, and it has gained traction quickly. And uh, I I intend to continue it. I, I really have come to really enjoy it. Now, Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and there are just a whole world of platforms out there. That's one of the beautiful things about podcasting. YouTube is just a central forum that can shut you down if they disagree with with your message, if they disagree with what you're teaching. It's not practical if some of your ideas tend to be controversial It's not practical if you believe in something called freedom of speech. (laughs) The podcast world is far more vast and spread out. You tend to have a lot more flexibility to be free and to be able to teach what it is you want to teach and to say the things you want to say. 
hopefully the things you have to say are worth saying, but with that in mind, podcasting is a great avenue. And with Buzzsprout, within minutes of finishing your recording, it'll be spread across the World Wide Web to numerous podcasting platforms. Now, podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. As I was getting started, I noticed I was watching Buzzsprout videos to learn how to get a podcast up and running. So I turned to them for my hosting when the time came. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. I have had to bother them a number of times already, asking questions, trying to get things set up, spun up, fix things, you know, whatever the case may be. You run into lots of, it's a, it's a whole new world of technology. So you run into lots of problems and, and you may not know what to do or how to handle a situation. They have been prompt in helping me and oftentimes even taking care of the problem for me before I ever even, um, I don't even know what they did to fix it. They just did it for me. <laughs> but you can join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Now, following the link in the show notes, let's Buzzsprout know we sent you. It gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan and helps to support this show. So let's create something great together, preferably for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Disease can be terrifying. Certain terms directed at us from our doctor can be life-altering. This may be one reason I just prefer not to go to the doctor. <laughs> Maybe not seeing a doctor is like a child covering their eyes. If they can't see you, surely you can't see them. But cancer, diabetes, Parkinson's, many autoimmune diseases, the list could be endless. There are some very important concepts to consider when conflating addiction with disease. Real disease alters life due to its forceful imposition of dysfunction in place of function. That's important to note. That's important to remember. Cancer entering a person's bones is debilitating. It will replace function with dysfunction through the biological course of that disease in your body. Parkinson's disease, it causes uncontrollable shaking. Again, it, it's taking something that was a natural function of your body and it causes it to lack the function it once had. These are examples of serious troubles that can replace normal bodily function with some form of unfortunate dysfunction. That is the physical breakdown of practical bodily functions which result from the onset of a respective disease. Now, I, I, I keep repeating that because it's important. If we're going to call addiction a disease, then, then we've got to approach it from that mindset. And if we're going to approach it from that mindset, we're going to quickly find out there are some serious breakdowns in this philosophical approach. As disease sets in, the unfortunate victims begin to recognize discomfort, pain, loss of normal coordination, and any number of other abnormalities respective to the type of disease. They approach a doctor with their concern. Now, like I said, I just stay away from the doctor. That way I, I you know, don't find out. But the, normal people approach a doctor with their concern, and upon necessary investigation and testing the disease is, Lord willing, discovered. As a result of this discovery, the person's life and behavior will be altered to try and create an atmosphere of slowing, stopping, or coping with the disease, whatever it may be. 
from that point on, now it's treatment. Now it's a change in lifestyle. Now it's medication. Now it's new activity. And these changes to the behaviors of your life will have to be implemented in order to help slow this thing down or, or hopefully cure it. Now, it's important to note the order of events. The disease begins to manifest symptoms in the person's body. The symptomatic individual goes to the doctor. And based upon the symptoms, the doctor performs certain testing and investigation. The disease is discovered, and then the person's behavior is changed. Certain needful activities are implemented to help cope with or cure the disease. This order of events is significant when speaking in terms of disease. I understand that sounds like common knowledge, and that seems sensible. But it's important that we understand this, that we grasp this, that we note these little details along the way, because when we turn this over to addiction, when we jump from real disease over to the world of addiction, we try to apply this same series of events, uh, we're going to start noticing some problems. So about that, let's talk about addiction. The addict begins a clear and noticeable series of life-altering patterns, patterns that I would call choices, but for the sake of the discussion, we'll call them patterns. Now, these patterns are destructive, not in terms of a breakdown in biological mechanisms brought about by a disease like cancer or Parkinson's or diabetes, but rather breakdowns brought about by some poisonous substance repeatedly consumed in some form whether it's injection, smoking, sniffing, drinking, um, any number of ways that addicts creatively get their drug of choice into their body. (laughs) Now, the cancer patient recognizes trouble in their body, then learns that trouble is brought about by the disease. The drug addict buys their substance of choice, then later is told a disease exists related to the substance they buy and consume. (laughs) The cancer patient discovers a disease exists through unfortunate organic processes. The drug addict buys a desired substance and learns the repeated use of that damaging substance is a disease. Something is backwards here. We have some serious gaps in behavioral patterns between these scenarios. The cancer patient's altering behavior is responsive. The drug addict's behavior is a deliberate choice. So the addict changes their behavior, which is purposeful, They're trying to get into a position whereby they can obtain their drug of choice and freely use it the way they want. That's that's their goal. That's their aim. They do this only to discover the change of behavior is representative of a disease. It makes no sense. The cancer patient learns of the disease then changes their behavior. The drug addict changes their behavior and then they're told they have a disease. The cancer patient learns of their disease, and then they are told certain behaviors will need to be changed in order to help cope with that disease. Behavior, by the way, that may include taking opiates and other strong medications for the purpose of receiving help. Cancer can be unbelievably painful, and as a result, cancer patients end up having to take some really strong opiates and really strong, there's a wide range of pain medication that they end up having to take, but they take it to cope with the disease that they have. The addict consumes the opiates for the purpose of getting high. Then he is told he has a disease. (laughs) He's not coping with a disease that exists. The fact that he takes drugs is the disease. That makes absolutely no sense. One of two problems is happening here. Either somebody is highly ignorant 
And they live in this dream world where they think if they just take away personal responsibility from addicts, it will help them somehow come to terms or come to grip or deal with their problem of addiction. Or the second idea that I've come up with is they're just crooked. And maintaining this idea that addiction is a disease, well, it helped to create a $35 billion industry. I'm not of the idea that doctors are evil and they're trying to hurt you and they're trying to harm you and they're not really trying to help you and they're using your situation. I don't doubt that it happens on a small scale, but the the few places it happens here and there, again, is not representative of the whole. I do think when a teaching within the medical world becomes dominant, the people that are taught these ideas have an extremely hard time seeing past them. But let's let's apply this mentality elsewhere. Let's see if it holds up anywhere else in, in other ways. A few podcast episodes back, I spoke to you about the house of Stephanus. They are mentioned in the Bible as being addicted to the ministry. In 1 Corinthians 16, 15, it says, I beseech you, brethren, you know of the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Now, that's significant, significant terminology. And I believe the Bible is true. I believe it's the word of God. And I believe he worded it that way intentionally. Because an addiction is something you do. An addiction is something you get yourself involved in. It's a devotion. If you look up the word, the definition of the word addiction, it it is something you're devoted to. And you're so devoted that you have become addicted. It's a choice you've made to apply yourself. These people addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They made a decision, man, I love ministering to God's people. I'm going to do it to the point that they think I'm addicted. They see that devotion in my life, my focus and my dedication to God's people. Okay. So if we take the idea of addiction as a disease and apply it here, most would say it's ludicrous. They'd say it's ridiculous. As a matter of fact, people get annoyed at times with, with Christians that tend to be more faithful, I guess you could say radical, but I would say they're probably addicted. (laughs) As a matter of fact, the people that get aggravated would say, you chose to live the Christian life. And I would agree, just as the drug addict chose to live a life of addiction. So the world around us can no longer become upset with Christians. You can't get mad anymore. We are simply struggling with a disease over which we have no control. So you can't be upset with me when I try to hand out a tract. The reason I try and give you a tract is because I struggle with a disease that makes me that make that compels me to tell you about Jesus Christ. We go around telling people about Jesus and preaching the gospel because this behavior is the result of a disease that we have. We can't help it. <laughs> so you can't get mad and you can't get frustrated. I, I, I'm just I, I struggle with this disease, and this disease is called Christianity. And as a result, it means I'm a Christ follower. I am dedicated to Jesus Christ. And the symptoms of this disease are that I have to go out and tell the entire world about Jesus Christ. Or another explanation could be that I have found myself and that Christians have found themselves in awe of the Savior that died for us. Therefore, we devote our lives to his service. But you don't get to have it that way over here. And then turn to drug addicts and say, well, your situation is different because it's not. Our choice to become faithful to Christ can be seen in terms of the devotional nature of addiction. We talked about the definition of the word addiction. A couple podcasts back, we read the definition from the dictionary. 
And it notes that in order to become addicted, it requires a high level of personal devotion. We develop a series of biblically prescribed behavioral patterns meant to be pleasing to Jesus Christ. So don't be upset with me. I'm an addict. (laughs) Addiction of any sort is highly goal-oriented. That's the reality of the matter. And if you don't get that person to change their goals, and, and you don't get that person to change their devotion, and that's the hard part. That's where the struggle is. That's where the battle is. That's where the frustration comes in. They're so devoted to something that is killing them. If the world of rehabilitation would deal with this idea, if you would focus that $35 billion into discovering how to get that person to change that which they're devoted to, your time would be far better spent. Now, there's some biblical prescription for that, but again, it's based on choice. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, he's right there. You could call upon him. Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. The Bible promises if you trust in Jesus Christ, your sins could be forgiven, your soul would be saved, and then you have a Bible that would teach you how to live the Christian life. But all of that requires you to make the choice to do it. When I got saved, I literally thought the moment I got saved that all my problems were solved. I I didn't know any different. Then I began to learn that there's a really thick Bible full of serious problems that Christians have to deal with. And so I will offer you Jesus Christ as the solution, but that solution still sits there amongst options that you have to choose. It's the right choice. Not only will it help you here in this life, it'll help you all the way into eternity, but you've got to take it. You've got to pick it up. You've got to apply it. God offers you power and ability and help through your belief in the gospel and your trust in his word. But again, it requires you taking the step and making the choices to leave off drug addiction, a choice you can make. I don't doubt it's a hard choice, but it is a choice you can make and follow after Jesus Christ. I'll make you this guarantee. If you were to wholeheartedly do that, in six months, your life would be dramatically altered. You wouldn't even recognize who you were six months prior. But By the time a person is dubbed an addict, they often have had months or even years of substance abuse under their belt. Calling such goal-oriented behavior disease poses many dangers broader than the area of drug addiction. You really create some serious philosophical problems across many disciplines when you start calling the goal-oriented behavior of a drug addict a disease. Now, under these terms, any form of addiction can now be counted as a disease and indeed is happening on a large scale. One's refusal to put away pornography is now the disease of addiction related to porn. This is it's, it's going to get ridiculous before it's over with. If this idea is not abandoned, you're really going to have some serious problems and it's going to be self-made. And not only so, but this mentality, the start of this mentality comes from the standpoint that there is no God. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man and the end thereof are the ways of death. So what's happening is a group of men that disregard God and have no regard for his word. One man is trying to lean on his own understanding to develop the answer or the solution to why another man has chosen to live a life of drug addiction. 
So it's it's the blind leading the blind, and they have fallen into a ditch. Now, it's a ditch that will make you $35 billion a year, but people aren't getting the help that they need, and lives are not being altered, and people aren't being people's lives are not being put back together and marriages being restored and people leaving off their, their addictions, whatever they may be. Instead, drug addiction, porn addiction, numerous other addictions are on a massive increase. People aren't getting the help that they need because they're not turning to the person that has the answer. <laughs> and that name, that person, of course, is Jesus Christ, which you don't want to hear. But I told you anyways, because I care about you. And then along these terms, obesity is no longer related to poor choices of food. It's no longer related to eating habits. It's an unfortunate disease over which the victim has absolutely no control. (laughs) The hypocrisy in this is seen in its use being relegated to negative patterns of behavior. The millionaire that worked 80 hours per week and carefully planned every detail of their financial situation to achieve that goal He's not considered to have a disease. His addiction to his work and his addiction to his financial outcome, because it's a positive result, uh, well, that's not a disease. That's not even an addiction if you, go by the, if you go by the standards that are applied to drug addicts. Now, both are goal-oriented. Both require great dedication and focus, but only one is counted a disease. The college student, that graduates summa cum laude or valid Victorian. They don't have the disease of education, though with today's education, I admit that is debatable. But you understand what I'm saying. They, they simply applied themselves and applying themselves with great discipline and ability, they finished strong. But it's only considered a disease when the chosen behavioral patterns are negative. Pornography, overeating, drinking, drug use. Those are diseases in the world's book. But that same goal-oriented addiction that produces highly educated people, people progressing in their careers, people that are self-made millionaires, sports athletes and end up in the pros, anything that is considered positive, a positive result, is not looked at as as an addiction. Not only is it not looked at as an addiction, it's not looked at as a disease. They're just people that we often admire because of their faithfulness and their dedication to their craft. I don't see rehab centers opening up for people addicted to success. That might be a thing in the future. (laughs) The way that education and other areas of life are dumbed down. They may open up rehab centers for people with success because people that live destructive lives, addicted to drinking, addicted to drugs, addicted to pornography, unfaithful to their to their wives, unfaithful to their husbands, don't take care of their families. These people are being elevated. These people are being lifted up in society. And then you turn to men and women that are successful, that are highly educated because they chose to get an education and to stick with it. They are great at their careers because they chose to go into work every day and to work long, hard hours and to be faithful to it. Those people are being shunned at this point in our society. Everything is flipped backwards. The, the, the drug addict you'll find on television, they're being elevated in life. They're being lifted up. But you look all around our country and people that are successful because of their, their faithfulness and dedication to their career and their, their willingness to work hard, they're considered bigots. 
They're considered hateful. We have a society of people that want to take away from them what they have worked for and give it to others. There's a widespread mentality, and this creates a series of problems when you, when you, allow, this to, when you allow this type of thinking to continue. You could spend years studying out the connections between the different groups and the different disciplines and the way that their approach to these ideas all interconnect and have some background in Marxism, Darwinism, anything that's against God. They tend to team up and join together. Postmodernism, humanism, socialism, communism. I mean, they have slightly different philosophical backgrounds, but ultimately their end goal is the same. Now let's venture further down this road. (laughs) The idea of addiction as a disease is the result of a logical fallacy. This form of fallacy resembles the post hoc fallacy when two events that run side by side are joined together causally. Just because two events run closely together does not necessarily mean one caused the other. And if you're not careful, thinking that way will conflate ideas that have nothing to do with each other. For example, in Sierra Leone, Africa, there was an Ebola outbreak that lasted from 2014 to 2016. Sorry, Ms. Holt. (laughs) As a result, it was highly recommended that the world refrain from traveling to Sierra Leone. Okay, so that makes sense. There's an Ebola outbreak in this region of the world. It would be good probably not to travel there. Now, traveling to that region of the world might result in contracting this deadly disease. So the news spreads across the world that Ebola has broken out in Sierra Leone, and indeed it did, and it was bad. The result of that is you probably shouldn't fly to Sierra Leone because if you do and you spend time there, there's a good chance you could come into contact with the disease. Now, to to demonstrate what we're talking about or the problem that tends to result, here are the two ideas. Ebola outbreak in Sierra Leone and travel to Sierra Leone. Those are two ideas running side by side. But the decision to travel to Sierra Leone is not the disease, nor did the decision to travel to Sierra Leone cause the disease, though making the choice to go may put one in a position to come into contact with the disease. You have to separate travel to Sierra Leone from the cause of the disease. So many people develop the the opinion traveling to that region is a bad idea. Just as I presume, probably most people have the opinion that tracking down a crack dealer and buying crack is a bad idea. But traveling to Africa during an epidemic and buying crack from a street dealer, neither will cause a disease. You're conflating ideas when you say, I have the disease of addiction, therefore I take crack. No, you began taking crack and your focused and diligent pursuit of taking crack caused you to be addicted. It did not cause you to have a disease. A number, a number of other fallacies are born out of this idea as well. And we could discuss a, a whole slew of them. For instance, travel to Africa does not mean the traveler will contract a serious disease. I lived in Egypt for more than a year and never contracted any disease. My wife and I have traveled to Uganda twice. The, the second time we traveled there, we learned my wife was pregnant with our first child. So as far as that's not counted a disease, we came home happy and healthy. So what I'm trying to show you here is there's a natural tendency to think that going to Africa will cause a disease. And that's not true. Many people go in and out of Africa and never have any health problems whatsoever. Some people do go to Africa and end up with malaria or they end up contacting Ebola or, or uh, some of the other diseases that commonly spread around the various countries that are there. 
But your travel to that region of the world is not the cause. Your choice to pack up and and to take your family to Africa or to the Middle East or to anywhere else that maybe does not have the health standards and, and the cleanliness of the United States or other countries in the Western world. Currently, we're all at home because of the coronavirus. <laughs> and so here, here's another one. Here's another idea that gets conflated. And I would like to see go away sooner than later. You see all these pictures of people online saying, stay home. It may save a life. Why don't you stay home? If you're that concerned about getting a flu virus, then stay home and don't go out and stop telling other people that they're going out of their home is, is causing people to die or causing a flu virus to be spread because it's not, not necessarily you're conflating ideas. If you believe yourself to be at risk, then you stay home. You let other people go out. Other people have lives to live. They've made choices that they want to they have a career and that they want to provide for their families. They don't want to sit around and wait for a check to come from the government. They actually want to do something with their lives. So you stay home with your conflated ideas and your, and your life of terror over a virus. The rest of us would like to get back to work. And we would like to see the news media and we would like to see certain aspects of our government stop using these logical fallacies on purpose to scare people to stay home and not want to go out and participate in, in their economy or their lives with their family and their friends and the, other, and the other various things that are going on. So many, many diseases in Africa, back to Africa, uh, were brought from other places. Going somewhere and doing something may put you in at more of a risk to contracting that disease but it doesn't cause the disease these are not these are not necessarily directly related ideas now some people listening may be wondering what in the world does this have to do with eating bats in china <laughs> well it means travel to africa is not synonymous with contracting a disease just as many people try drugs once and never become addicted drug use though a bad choice is not synonymous with contracting a disease it takes years of dedicated focus and goal-oriented drug use before one can earn the title of disease. Years of tracking down dealers, avoiding police, stealing items of value, selling said items, injecting some foreign substance into your veins, all of which takes time, dedication, learning, and great focus. Only this disease of drug addiction is so hard to earn. <laughs> When a person is diagnosed with respective forms of diabetes, there is a reasonable expectation that behavioral patterns will need to change. They'll go on strict diets. Um, they'll need insulin injections, depending on the type of diabetes that it is. Certain exercises may be implemented. All, all these behavioral patterns will be introduced to this person, and old behavioral patterns will have to change for the purpose of helping this person get better or effectively cope with their disease over time. Only the behavioral patterns of the disease of addiction causes the degradation of an individual's life. Their chosen pattern of behavior results in the pathological attributes diagnostic of their supposed disease. Again, the, the diabetes patient changes behavior after they are diagnosed with their related disease. Then they begin to practice behavioral patterns that assist in correcting or coping. Okay, so they're diagnosed. Symptoms are made manifest. They're diagnosed. 
Here's the solution. The solution results in you taking medication, taking drugs of, of certain sorts and, and uh, that are necessary to help control and to, con- and to cope with diabetes. You got to change your diet. You got to change your way of living. You got to change many of your habits. You, you have to change behavioral patterns. But calling addiction a disease is backwards when compared to the realities of real disease and not very respectful to individuals that suffer from life-altering physical troubles in their bodies. The drug addict changes his behavior, and that change in behavior develops the medical problems that he ends up having. The person that contracts a disease, the disease changes their health and causes their health to degrade in some form or problems to exist in some form. Then they have to go and take medication and change their behavioral patterns. It's all backwards. It seems clear to me a drug addict addicted to the substance of alcohol walking into a bar and buying strong drink is very different from the manifestation of flu symptoms. Driving to the bar is voluntary. It's a choice you make. Walking into the bar, again, is voluntary. You could have walked away when you got there. You didn't have to drive there in the first place. But then once you got there, you could have seen, you know, this really isn't somewhere I should be. I should go somewhere else. Maybe I'll get ice cream instead. Unless you're (laughs) obese. Maybe you should stay away from that too. But the alcoholic continues. He goes in. Not only does he drive there, not only does he walk into the bar, which which can be difficult. There could be a long line. You've got to be ID'd. You've got to make sure you have your your, your wallet and your license. The license cannot be expired. It's got to actually be you in the picture. You've got to know some things about the license and the person on, on, the, on the ID. And, um, you know, there, there, there are some obstacles there that could further help you not make the choice to go into that bar. But having done so, you go up to the counter and you purchase a drink. Contracting the flu is not standard voluntary practice. You might get it every year, but you didn't go out looking for it and you didn't buy it. You came into contact with it. And through that contact, you ended up getting sick and having gotten sick. You had to go change some patterns of behavior, stay home, eat soup, take medicine, suffer for a few days with the intention of getting better and going right back to life as normal. That is not the intention of a drug addict. Remember, behavior is something we do not something that happens to us. Unbridled appetites are made manifest through the choices made by individuals. Do you have control of your appetites? We could find out really quickly. Where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your time? Is, it, is that money spent and that time spent on something productive and helpful? I would say video games are not very productive and helpful. It's a waste of money and it's a waste of time. I would say alcohol is a waste of money and a waste of time. I would say drugs are a waste of money and a waste of time. All of which are going to end up getting you in trouble. Pornography, certainly a waste of time. And unfortunately, you can, you can access, access it too easily today. It may, not, it may or may not cost you money, but it will certainly cost you your sobriety. The more you look at it, the more you focus on it, the more you allow it into your heart and mind, the more destructive it'll be. As a matter of fact, one of the suggestions of a future podcast was on pornography. I I have ordered the materials I need, and in the future, we'll be arranging those podcasts. I I know, it's exciting. You look forward to it. (laughs) It's dangerous to place personal pleasure and satisfaction over responsibilities. Nobody is suggesting you should not have fun. 
But if your idea of fun is alcohol, drugs, and pornography, you've got some serious problems with your heart and your mind, and you need to get some help. You might think it's okay. It's only okay because you're hidden in the dark doing it behind closed doors. Would you be ashamed for somebody to find out you're addicted to pornography? Why? I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the word of God. Ecclesiastes 6 verses 7 through 9 says, All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. What are you doing to yourself with your appetites? What appetites are you given over to that are damaging your your marriage, harming your life, about to cause you to lose your job, causing trouble in school, and taking you out of church? What What appetites have you developed? What are you feeding? What are you given over to that is harming your life and not helping? If all you live for is a quick high, that high will become quicker and quicker until your life is consumed. Now, once again, if addiction is something you struggle with, please let me know. While I am convinced the addictions in your life are based on choices you have made, I don't discount the difficulties that come with such deep-seated habits. I want to help you. I will do what I can to get you where you need to be to help you get the help that you desire. Once again, I will place some links in the description below. If you need assistance with these things, please let me know. I have resources available. I have places we can send you. I have people you can talk to. I'll do what I can to help you get what you need. But you've got to be serious and you've got to be ready to make some changes. You've got to be ready to to alter some habits, and some behavior. But these are all choices you've got to make. And again, that's where the difficulty comes in. If this was a disease, we could find a cure and send you on your way. But it's not a disease. The common denominator in this problem is choice. When will you choose to walk away from whatever it is that is harming you and your life? Thank you for listening, and God bless. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.